You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. One, what is up, ladies and gentlemen? This is episode number six of the Art of Me podcast with Anthony Manuel. It's me and Dr. William Raybar. We are out in the Canadian Rockies trying to put together a grand unified theory of how to move, what the proper human biomechanics are in life, how you should train, how you should sit, how you should live your life in your body. And that's what the Art of Move is all about. We've had a lot of really cool episodes. Last episode was all about feet. If you didn't hear about that, that was a really cool episode. If you want to listen to it, if you have a bit of a foot fetish, go check out All About Feet or, or on, on episode five. We were available on Spotify and now officially on iTunes as well, which is pretty exciting. We're slowly expanding to where the Art of Move is streaming out to. And today, Will and I are going to be doing a pretty cool, different style episode. What we're going to do is we're going to take all the concepts that we have sort of outlined so far. We tend to favor... Um, more movement methodologies like GOTA, uh, like the WEC method, like functional patterns, a lot of the principles that come out of those practices we've sort of adopted and, and sort of said, hey, this this looks true. Uh, and as a result of that, we've like it, it sort of inherently criticizes conventional lifting, it criticizes Olympic weightlifting, it criticizes weighted mobility work, it criticizes things like functional range conditioning that uh, prioritizes joint capsule stuff. And it criticizes a lot of these different other movement modalities that I actually followed for years and years on end and, and would defend vehemently to the death. And I know Will did as well, you know, so like both of us come from a background of weightlifting, of Olympic weightlifting, of powerlifting, of bodybuilding. I, uh, you know, studied yoga for many, many years and was very intensely involved in yoga practice. I studied gymnastics training for adults. I studied uh, the Edo Portal method. I studied um, the range of strength certification. He used to be associated with the Athletic Truth Group, who, who is all about joint and, and tissue, joint tissue conditioning, and specifically tendinal and ligament conditioning through developing stronger ranges of motion. So, I have the logic and the sort of um, the reasoning behind all these training methodologies under my belt. So, I'm going to do a little bit of a role play, and I'm going to steel man all of these training modalities and put them up against everything that we've talked about so far. So Will is going to be kind of on the side of, uh, you know, more GOTA functional patterns and WEC method informs uh, training. Uh, so that rotary model that we talked about, uh, less of a linear model, we're talking more about the rotary model. We're talking about, you know, sort of more, more movement practice oriented stuff. And I'm going to take the position of that lifting weights is a good thing that doing weighted mobility, that conditioning your tissues is a good thing, and that prioritizing strength and tissue longevity through conditioning your tissues is is a good approach to do and is not a bad thing to prioritize. Does that sound kind of like a good summary of what we're planning on doing today? Yeah, pretty much. Like, um, it, it'll be a debate discussion. Um, we're going to go at the deeper principles of why um, certain methodologies may be superior to others. So it is actually, I do believe there's a hierarchy of movement. Um, things that are, or movements that are going to be more conducive to being um, very 
efficient, I guess you can say, very efficient and will not injure you. Okay. And you can do for the rest of your life. That's my goal there. Not so much aesthetics or um, getting the muscle stronger or anything like that. My goal, efficiency, power, injury free. Do it for the rest of your life. Right. And so, so that's, that's the hierarchy of three different goals. Essentially. I heard, I heard efficiency. Did you say efficiency, power and longevity or yeah, that, that was, yeah. And so, you know, I would say that uh, longevity and, and, and by the way, I want to, I want to also preface this with the fact that this is not my own personal view anymore. I'm actually more in the camp that will is going to be defending uh, where we prioritize efficiency of movement first then power output once you're efficiently moving and longevity is a consequence of that. If you prioritize those two, then longevity becomes the priority. You can do some spot checking stuff for, for tissue conditioning if you need to within that framework. But usually if you, if you deal with the movement pattern efficiency first, then longevity is just the consequence of that. Versus the position that I'm going to defend today is that longevity is a result of prioritizing it through conditioning your tissues. And then once you've conditioned your tissues, that is that is longevity. And then you focus on power output after your tissues can withstand the loads. And then as a result, you are not necessarily more efficient in your movement, but your joints can absorb force more efficiently. And so you can do more because you have a bigger engine on it. So that's sort of the two, uh, it sounds like the two positions that we're going to be defending. Do you're prioritizing efficiency of movement first. I'm prioritizing in my camp. Uh, the, the the conditioning of the tissues or or even the conditioning of the joints and the, the joint articulation. Sure. Um, that That's a very general overview. We should get into deeper questions because I could say that's true. But um, yeah, let's get deeper. Let's get right into the into the meat of it. If you have a question that, you know, over something that we've done or um, something that I've said in the past episodes. Yeah. Okay. So, so we've, we've uh, you know, our last episode, for example, we kind of touched on, we, we, we did like an hour and a half discussion on feet. And one of the principles that we said is like, if you want to prioritize the efficiency of movement within your foot, you're going to travel on the outside edge of your foot. And you shouldn't let your foot pronate. You shouldn't let your foot sink in. And the, the biggest criticism that I hear against that idea that you should only prioritize, you know, that, that what Goda would call inside ankle bone high is the fact that you are going to be in positions where your inside ankle bone is low in real life if you're walking on uneven surfaces if you're playing a sport and you have to cut super hard or you're in a weird position and you're trying to catch yourself all of a sudden your your tissues need to be ready to withstand you know these these situations where you're going to have to load these joints in in awkward or or unfavorable positions the idea being that like you know, you, like the, one of the biggest criticisms against lifting is that your life doesn't happen in a box, right? Like you don't typically squat down to go grab the, the bag of rice in your cupboard in a, in a perfect squat, or, you know, you're usually twisting or pulling or reaching or doing these things, but you still want to have your joints conditioned to be able to withstand load and force when you're in these awkward positions, right? And so, so what I, so I, so what I would say is like, okay, so like the ATG or like the athletic truth group would prioritize 
you know, Ben Patrick knees over toes guy will condition the knees so that you can be in a full deep knee bend, no matter what the situation is. Even though when you see him training, he has that inside ankle bone low. He stays injury proof because he does so much conditioning for his tibialis, for his calves, for the tissues and ligaments and the tendons around his, his both his knees and his calves. Sure. He's so rock solid in that, that when he's playing basketball at a high level, six or seven times a week while training, He's never, he's, he doesn't injure himself any, right? Yeah. And so, so these people are staying injury-free because they're conditioning their tissues, because they are prioritizing strength through length and, and the ability to withstand force and pressure in awkward positions that they might happen to find themselves in. Okay. Um, what I would say to that is, yes, you can train your tissues. Um, of course, you can train in positions and make your tissues stronger, in positions that Gota would say isn't ideal, okay, or that I would say isn't ideal. For example, you can have your inside ankle bone extremely low, and I can still squat and put on a ton of weight, right? I can still be strong in that position. I can still make my tissues more dense in that position. But do you want to be in that position in the first place? Do you want to be in the pos compromised position at high speed, okay? So, you would never want to be in an inside ankle bone low position, an extreme inside ankle bone low position at high speed. I think anybody could agree with this across the board, okay? And in order to train that way, you have to be still. You can't do it with speed. You Think about it for a second. If you want to uh, trade inside ankle bone low and knee valgus, which go together, your knees coming in, you would never want to run and cut with that position. I don't think anybody would say that's smart, but uh, being on the outside edge of your foot, you could do that every time and you can train that way. When I'm running, it's seven times body weight every time I land. You cannot simulate that seven times body weight by just doing an inside ankle bone low position as you are lifting and uh, movement at the same time. It's just not going to happen. Okay. So there's, let me parse that out a little bit more. The first argument is that um, train the position and you won't even have to use that tissue on the inside of the ankle bone as much. Two, you're still training the tissues on the inside of the ankle, even when you're on the outside of the ankle. It's not like they're not trained specifically. And three, you can do a small amount of training if you want to, FRC style, where you're moving the joint into that position and just feeling what that's like but I would never do it with speed. Right. So you're saying that, you know, like you can, and, and, you know, my argument through that, which you kind of addressed at the end there was like, okay, I get that you don't want to be in that position. You don't want to prioritize that position. Um, and you said, and, and what you said was you can train to be on the outside ankle bone and you can train most of your, or you, you keep your inside ankle bone high. You can train that position and then you won't find yourself there as much. The argument that I'm trying to make here is that as much as not always, right? Like there's no way that you can always be in that position. And there are some instances where you might actually find yourself in a, in a basketball game, in a, in a running scenario when you're running on a trail, where you have to, like maybe there's a there's an incline on the side and your inside ankle bone, your inside ankle bone drops a bit, right? And so what I'm saying is like, no, you wouldn't necessarily have to train that at speed. If you're training tissue resilience, it just means that you're developing the tissues to a degree that 
you will be able to meet these circumstances where maybe, you know, I'm not saying it's funny because it sounds like you're saying, I'm not saying don't train the tissue. I'm saying not prioritize it. I'm yeah. saying it's like, it's not that you don't have to prioritize, you know, train, train the movement. It just means that you also want to prioritize tissue adaptation, right? So, so what I'm but hearing you're is- You're also adapting your tissue when you're in the good position too. You know what I mean? It's not like your tissue doesn't get adapted at all. If you're like, that's an argument I've heard before and I just don't buy it. I don't buy that your tissue doesn't adapt um, well when you're in a good position. Okay, I get what you're what saying. You, you can uh, have tissue resilience by training the inside edge. Let's say a knee valgus. Let's imagine you training a knee valgus in the gym with inside ankle bone low because you want to simulate uh, a position you would be in in an injury. True? Is that the, the case there? I mean, you know, it's funny because even even from the perspective of of tissue conditioning, I don't even necessarily know that I would train a knee valgus specifically. It just seems objectively wrong. Um, but you know, I wouldn't like I wouldn't I wouldn't do a dramatic knee valgus because again, that's just like you're just putting pressure and and you're trying to again like what. So how much this of a idea knee valgus is acceptable to you? It it would be in minimal training. It would, in tra in training specifically. Yeah. You know, for and it's funny because because I'm having a hard time role playing right now, because <laughs> yeah. because the role playing character would would want to make an argument for like a minimal knee valgus that's barely visible from the knee, but you could see it from the collapse of the inside ankle bone. But, for me but, personally, I don't think you should train a knee valgus. I don't think you should load a knee valgus. That's that's and I'm breaking role play for a second. I actually don't think that, and I want I want people listening to really realize. Remember, I'm role playing. I don't want to. I don't want to mar my name by by making ridiculous arguments. But like, say that you're doing a, a split squat, right? And your inside ankle bone collapses. So technically, there could be symptoms of a knee valgus within the the knee joint when you're when you're you know doing that range. And again, you wouldn't train that at speed. You wouldn't do like a like a, a long jump landing into that split squat position, right? <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't want to load it in in that intensity. But the 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 style. You know, again, the I guess the issue is here. You can have tissue adaptations in the good positions, but there is still the said principle, right? Specific specific adaptations to imposed demands. Hmm. So, mm -hmm. so even if you're training this inside ankle bone high position, you're getting tissue adaptations, but not specifically to create resilience within the tissues when you have to move out of those positions. Can I? Can I just? Okay, so. I could train as like I could allocate hours a day into training quote unquote poor positions like knee valgus. Let's say extreme knee valgus. I could train that all day and yeah, I can make my tissue stronger. But would I better allocate my time to training, let's say, uh, outside um, foot pressure, okay, with inside ankle bone high and a good bow? If I can hit that every time I land, that is the landing position. I'm making this argument. That is the landing position to earth, okay, every single time. So my brain has to get it right every single time in order to mitigate stresses. So I'm one, teaching my nervous system to be in the right position, which this is the thought process that's different. I'm teaching my body to be in the right position, have the right behavior when I land to earth versus just getting my tissue stronger. Also, 
if I'm training knee valgus and having my knee come in towards the middle and I'm training the tissues, like Ben Patrick does, like um, I think an FRC style would say, you need to train those tissues specifically, okay? Maybe they wouldn't, I'm not sure. But if that's the argument, then I'm also training my nervous system to understand that that's how I, the positions are okay. Okay, so I can allocate time to either one. I would 100% choose to allocate time to being in the right landing position every single time I land to earth. Right, so can't you just, can't you, basically what I'm saying is can't you like prioritize training your tissues while having specific segments of your, like, couldn't it be a 50-50 split, for example? No. Can't I do, you say no? No. Uh, no, not at all? Split? Well, 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 why wouldn't it be? Because like, if you can, if you can. What's the priority here? Well, I'm taking, taking 20,000 steps a day. I want to get every single one correct. That's my, my goal is to have my balance every time I get it so that my joints don't wear down in the first place. Why let them wear down in the first place and obsess about building them up so that you can wear them down? It makes no sense, okay? I can allocate a little bit of time to training tissue resilience, and I do that already okay but it's not a lot of time it's very little because i've had poor behaviors my whole life i've landed inside ankle bone low i've landed with that knee valgus i've had knee issues because of it in retrospect looking back if i just understood the landing positions and hit them and practice them every time i'm going to be better off in the long run durable in the long run um, i won't need to use those tissues that i've trained over and over and over again and allocated the time to and my precious nervous system resources to. Instead, I'm going to go over, train the positions, train my nervous system to have the better behavior. And that will be basically my argument there. Right. And so I, I want to clarify the nervous system resources that you're talking about. It's like, you know, if you're if you're practicing piano, if you're practicing a song on piano, your body learns, your hands learn the positions to play the song and it memorizes the basically how your body moves to play this song and you're saying you're, you're kind of saying that within movement it's, it's very similar so if you're, so if i'm training these knee valgus if i'm training these positions where my my ankle bone collapses even if it might build up tissue resilience you're saying that i'm using a nervous system resource and memorizing that pattern which will make my movement less efficient in the long run well you, you can see this right every this is in every sport you practice very specifically to get better at that motion in sports okay no one would argue that like you need to practice exactly how you would play in order to get better it's the same exact thing with movement your body doesn't your brain doesn't know it's doing a sport or a motion you know what i mean your body is the body and if you train the behavior that is more important than training the tissue i, I shouldn't say that um Basically, I would train the behavior before I would train to be out of the positions, and I would call that poor behavior, okay? So your body will react quickly. Let's say your nervous system is at its heightened max. Let's say you're running back, and you have to cut really fast to avoid a 300-pound guy hitting you, okay? Your nervous system is going to go into default mode to what you know, and it only has a split split second to do it and it's going to go to what you know you want the behavior to be as clean as possible and to have those structures 
as um, on point with nervous system and tissue, okay? Because you do build tissue walking properly as well, okay? And um, you build it in the correct patterns as well. You make your durability in the go-to math, let's say, even more resilient once you do it over and over again, okay? So that's the argument there. Okay, so I think I'm distilling the essence of your argument against prioritizing tissue training outside of these efficient movement patterns. You're saying that it's basically going to condition your body to default to the improper patterns, to, to unhealthy patterns that cause tissue damage. And that even though you're conditioning your, like you're, you're basically, you're spending all this time conditioning your tissue, right? To, to withstand these bad positions, but the conditioning of the tissue in these bad positions will make your nervous system want to go in those positions. Absolutely. And um, why, why waste precious resources um, training the positions that you don't want to be in in the first place? Okay, you can spend hours and hours. People have whole systems dedicated to increasing tissue in suboptimal positions, in my opinion. Okay, well, I, whole I programs. That. You can dedicate all your training time to these things, or you can just stay within the principles. Uh, I would say go to principles. Again, I'm going to repeat this. Annoying. Outside ankle or outside pressure on the foot, fourth and fifth metatarsal, inside ankle bone high, in a bow shape. Okay, knee cap pointing towards the outside, chest pointing towards the outside, in your back chain. Okay, so when I say the outside, I mean the, towards the landing leg. This is my argument. You want to get this correct every single time. You take 10,000 steps a day, you want every single one to be on point. And that's not a joke. It's like when you're, you can go to whatever level you want. To me now, the level that I'm thinking at is I want every step that I do to be proper. I want to rest in good positions. Okay, I want to um, have my whole life dedicated around being in good position, not just growing tissue. So like you're saying, okay, and I'm, this is literally me playing devil's advocate, right? If you take right. 10,000 steps a day, if you're taking 10,000 mindful steps a day, isn't that conditioning your nervous system to move in these patterns? Yeah. Yeah, right. So, so if you're already doing that and then you're practicing a sport, right? Say you're practicing running, you're doing something, and then you're practicing within these patterns and you're thinking about this on a regular basis, is there still harm in dedicating 30 minutes three times a week to dedicated tissue training outside of those patterns so that you're ready when you when you end up in these patterns inevitably because you you do like it like i i can go for a walk and i can think so intensely about keeping my my inside ankle bone high and i can be walking perfectly within the math and then i get you know i i, I like maybe i'm on i slip on a rock or something and my ankle bone collapses because it has to yeah. Don't I want to be ready for that? Is is like 30 minutes, three times a week. That's what, what the the Ben Patrick's program, for example, sure. when he's doing when he's doing his joint conditioning, his zero program, his body weight program, 30 minutes, three times a week. It's a time allocation thing, right? Like one my argument against that would be to keep the nervous system as clean as possible. Okay. You're already dumping your inside everybody is going inside ankle bone low. Okay. So it's not like you're not getting that movement. I would say more of an FRC style where I'm taking the joints and moving them very specifically. I would add that in with GOTA, okay? Mm -hmm. um, with keeping with 
the movement principles. I would call the math. Go to also says the math, right? Basically, um, it's the list that I repeated before. But I want to, me personally, I want to keep my nervous system as clean as possible. So I wouldn't do more of a ATG style, Ben Patrick, um, go into positions. Um, because the, those positions don't really follow the math. The positions I would work are more of an FRC style where I isolate the joint, move it, and then I integrate it more into a go-to style. Okay, so I okay. do hit those positions a very small amount of time. But um, for the most part, I want to keep my behaviors clean. I'm going to say it's an 80-20 thing, okay? 80% should be keeping the behaviors clean. 20% do whatever you want. Okay, so you're, you're, you're basically saying, like, even though guys like Ben Patrick and, you know, ATG does get really good results with a lot of their, their trainees and a lot of the coaches that are training their clients get really good results. And you're saying, like, but because they're not because they're not prioritizing movement efficiency, eventually they're going to run into the issue where that degeneration just catches up with them. That like there's no way they can maintain it for forever. Basically, it's like unless you want to be doing your 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 three thirty minute sessions every day for every week for the rest of your life, then you know like you can do that, I guess. But like the idea of building your tissues up and breaking them down Look, is. There's a lot of things I like from Ben Patrick's uh, system, okay? I like how he goes slow. I like how he adapts uh, slowly. You hit pain, stop, all that's good, right? So we're talking what is the best way to do it, okay? Mm -hmm. I think Ben Patrick's stuff is a pretty good way to do it, okay? So it's not like he's not going to get results. His trainers are obviously already elite. They're really good basketball guys for the most part. He picks out his top trainers as... Um, you know, kind of like already elite, okay? From what I've seen on Instagram and all that, okay? They're already basketball players, most of them. They're, they're already elite athletes, okay? This is not exactly what I'm talking about because no matter what, they'll be, if, if you're thinking about tuning your body, no matter what you're doing, you're already putting the mindful practice there and you're going to get some results. doesn't matter what it is, Okay. Because you're going to go intrinsic. You're going to feel your body. There's going to be results no matter what. My whole argument is I, I want to stay within the principles uh, that I described before and allocate my time to that. Okay? Right. So I don't doubt that Ben Patrick and uh, FRC, they get tons of results. But for me, time allocation now, stay within the math. Use mostly go to principles. Those are your building blocks in dynamic positions most of the other ones are static does ben patrick have dynamic motions like when he's training uh atg it's mostly static right other than maybe some jump work that he does and he has specific sub programs for basketball players who need joint conditioning for jumps so he'll do he'll do jumps and he i'm thinking about because I, I went through the atg system myself for it was three or four months after doing the range of strength. Range of strength used to be a, a subsection of, of ATG, and ATG used to be called real movement. It was sort of a, a trifecta of, of Keegan Smith, Lucas Aaron, and Ben Patrick. They all kind of came together and put their modalities together and kind of made like, made, made like a little Netflix version of three different training modalities that they all kind of were working on together. And 
what you know there there is they don't prioritize dynamic movement there is some form of dynamic movement and there is some there is some gait as in you're doing a lot of pulling you're doing a lot of reverse movement so you're you're walking backwards for example to condition your knee joint because when you walk backwards your knees tend to absorb more force you're in that quote knees over toe position in a in a shortened range so walking over is like hundreds and hundreds of reps in in just like a knee over toe position so there's there's dynamic stuff spe specific to again trying to condition that joint tissue you're not in training it like do, does ben patrick talk about uh spinal engine at all no no okay no. so he, he does he recognize that the spine moves from side to side or is most of the exercises are stability core tight exercises it's funny because they don't even talk about too too much about core tension there's core training you know you, tr you train to end up having uh, a strong l sit because you know in his mind if you have strong hip flexors then and you will do do specific training towards the hip flexors again so that the force output when you're sprinting you're you're lifting your knee up super super fast that hip flexor can so, so wait what what's the end goal there of force output yeah force output right so, so that's, that's another thing there it's like what is the end goal like that's that's huge actually what is your end goal force output yeah it might like doing things that isolate a muscle and then you test that isolated muscle, you're probably gonna have more force output, you know? Or if you test, let's say a run on a bodybuilder and you test his force output, his foot on the ground, it'll probably be strong. But is that right. translating cool. into good motions at the actual joint? Is that translating into durability? None of that stuff is really addressed in anything but I would say WEC method, GOTA and functional patterns. I don't okay. think so he does it as much. So this was the thing that I wanted to go into next because you're, you know, one of the core things that you're saying is you want to keep your nervous system as clean as possible. Yeah. Your second priority, you know, your first priority is efficiency. Your second priority here now is, is, is power, right? Is what you said. Yeah. Like I'm talking personally because I've already done a lot of work. You know what I mean? This right. wouldn't be the exact so, same. Well, well this is, this is what I'm saying. You're, th this yeah. is the list of priorities of how you should train things. So once you're already efficient in movement, then you start going into power, right? Now, wait, how, how, well, if you want, but, but like, yeah. we're, well, let's talk about training athletes just because it's, you know, we're talking about sure. athletic development and everyone wants to get jacked and, and bigger, faster, stronger, right? So the, the idea that we're going to go into here is if you have to keep your nervous system clean, how is lifting going to fit into that right because in in a lot of literature you see squats and and uh glute, like really heavy weighted glute raises um yeah. even deadlifts in some scenarios translating to faster sprint times or, or faster run times sure. and more and again more power output in in sports you know like there's 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 a reason why you have the nfl combine where you have a 225 pound bench press test the how much can you push this weight and for how long like what's your work capacity under under load you know yeah. and like and so you know lifting in general is a is a time tested time proven and and very very scientifically uh sort of researched method to become stronger and more powerful in your sport even though it doesn't necessarily keep your nervous system clean like you know if i'm if i'm practicing if i'm doing like 90 percent of my training is is you know like movement pattern efficiency training 
And then my other 10% is I'm doing heavy squats so that I have really, you know, like really intense power output through my legs. Yeah. A lot of people are doing that. Yeah. So, so is that, is that a bad thing? Um, I think it literally depends on the person. I wouldn't do it specifically. I would move weight forward, not up and down. And that's because again, the nervous system has to be clean with the up and down movements or when you're in the same plane. Okay. Usually you'll have to lift with your hips accelerating forward and your spine backwards. Okay. Think of an Olympic lift. You're popping your hips up forward. Like the bar always hits the hips or usually does. And, uh, and your spine is traveling backwards at full speed with two feet on the ground at high, at your highest nervous system output. So you now you're teaching your body. This is what has to happen when the, when I'm at my highest nervous system output. Okay. So if you teach your body that over and over and over again, you're going to get that when the going gets tough. Okay. You don't want your spine to be accelerating backwards with your hips forwards. You want your hips behind your rib cage. You want to be pointed forward, back chain dominant, and you want to drive forward. Okay. For the most part. Right. And so, so my issue is like, you, you know, you obviously doing a one rep max squat, which you and I have both probably done. I've right? done many times. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can feel your whole nervous system. Like once you do that, it feels like you just like, like fought a bear, you know, like you're, you're so exhausted after doing that. Like your whole nervous system is shot. Right. And that produces like, you can't really emulate that in a forward moving position, right? You can't, you can't develop as much force. You can't like build as much force pushing a sled, for example, like you can't do a one rep max sled push. You can't, uh, emulate a one rep, like a, like an even 80% max sled push in, in, in theory. Right. So like you're, you're going to be less efficient at producing that, that sort of nervous system tension, that, that, that power and that ability to drive, even though you're driving through your legs, again, if 90% of your training is you're saying that the neurological demand of doing strength training would be so high that it would counter out all the other training that you're, you're working on in your other positions. It may or may not, depending on the person, right? right? Why even play with it? Why even there's, there's just a better way to do it. Okay. If you want well, better, better, better for maintaining your, your movement pattern, but not necessarily better for creating strength, right? Well, what's strength? You're talking about strength going up and down. Strength is specific. Okay. So maybe if you want to jump, perhaps. So there's, so there's no, there's no carryover, but, but like, what, what about what, okay. When you see a study that shows a carryover between a Mac, a one rep max squat and a faster sprint time, how do you make sense of that then? Well, no, no, no. I didn't say there wasn't a carryover. There is a carryover. I just said there's a better way to do it. What did they measure uh, in that study that you're mentioning right now? Did they also compare somebody lifting weights forward? No. Or did that? No, they didn't. Right. It's always squat or deadlift. So we haven't even tested this out because the mindset behind it isn't even there yet. Nobody's going to design a study because this is new, right? So um, this is my hypothesis. You want to be a better mover forward. Also lift your weights forward. Okay. Also move things forward and you can do it in a better position for your body. 
your body is never on two legs moving forward. It's always on one leg. This is what happens when you move weight forward. You carry uh, the power onto one leg versus two. You're teaching your body that. Um, less wear and tear. Uh, less axle loading. Less uh, loading from the spine from the top. Imagine how bad your uh, vertebrae are getting crushed when you're putting 400 pounds on your back. Like anybody telling you it, that's not happening is just ignoring reality, okay? Um, <laughs> the thing is, I, I saw a study, and I, I got to link this at some point. I'll do it maybe next time. And it was talking about how there's a lot of end plate fractures in power lifters. An end plate fracture just means like you've literally fractured your vertebrae and it uh, from the top down. And um, these are fairly common in people who lift a lot, okay? So you'll, it's not unusual to see multiple end plate fractures throughout a power lifter's spine. And it's just like the conclusion, it's okay to have end plate fractures in your spine because power <laughs> lifters have them and they can lift a lot of weight. It's like, um, do you really want to fracture the end plates consistently throughout your spine? You really think that's a good idea? Okay, fine. That's the cool. All right. But um, that doesn't like, I am going to the extreme there. Right. But that's, the point of the whole thing it's like we need to think outside of the lifts that have just been done traditionally because they've been done traditionally mm -hmm. i want to see a study comparing forwards movement to up and down movement okay my hypothesis is the forwards movement is going to be much more transferable both for your nervous system and your tissues to forward locomotion which is what we do most of the time if you want to lift more up and down start lift more up and down the, it, it just it's specificity really right so and again that's that's sort of turning my former argument about against you know creating tissue resilience against me when i'm talking about the said principle i guess if we're taking the said principle to the ultimate extreme then you would want to train forward for forward you know you want if you want to get better at forward movement you train forward movement right i get, get that um you know I'm having a hard time role playing to try and come up with arguments against this because again, this is this is this is the exact. For, for well, I can I can play devil's advocate here from on my previous argument. It's that okay, I get what you're saying. Why don't I do heavy one rep maxes or build the tissue up because you can build more tissue. I'm not arguing this. You could probably build more tissue doing an up and down movement like a squat, okay, and then immediately transfer that into locomotive mo motions. So let's say I do a one rep max. I get my nervous system jacked up to the max, okay? Then I immediately start doing lo more locomotive-specific motions. Does that work? Perhaps. I don't know. I haven't tested it. It's a theory. I right. I'm, don't know. It's kind of like a shot in the dark. And, you know, like, I think that's the big thing, too, is, like, everything ends up being, you know, I, I like, one of, one of the very first streams I ever did on No Filter Network was with... Uh, this guy, Philip Chubb, who runs an Instagram account called The Mindful Mover. And he went down to training, strength training, once every seven days because he just tested it. He used to, he was like big, big into Ido Portel's movement culture. And then he got banned because he was kind of criticizing how often they were training. He got, he got exiled from the movement culture. And then he started, he, he was like, you know, I think, I think that if you train to failure once a week, you'll probably make really good goal uh, gains. And he started, you know, he, and, and he prioritized the squat and like four other gymnastics pulling and pushing movements and, and nothing but that. And he made insane progress over several years 
and is continuing to make really good progress training once every seven to 10 days, right? And it kind of flies in the face of the, the you know, volume is the source of hypertrophy and you need high frequency to increase your strength because it, it conditions your nervous system for force input and all that. So, but, but he tested it, right? And, and at the end of the day, it worked. Like it produced results for him, it produced yeah. results for other people. Mike Menser was the same way with his bodybuilding. You know, he trained once and then rested three to seven days in between training sessions. And he wasn't even training every movement part, uh, movement pattern every time. Yeah. Right. And so, so go ahead. To that, that point, um, I'm more of a fan. First off, you have to define your goal, right? So if your goal is to be the biggest bodybuilder, you probably have to train daily, right? If your goal, I assume, um, I mean, Mike Menzer uh, would say that you're wrong. <laughs> like okay. high intensity trainers would say, most say bodybuilders train. would say I'm right though. Right. Like yeah. most bodybuilders train five to seven days a week with splits and all that. Yeah. Um, that's the case there. Uh, sorry, let's, let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the reason that I said you got to test this is because like, um, when, when, I mean, I, I, I was a barbell enthusiast for a very, very long time. I did a lot of flexibility specific work. And then I, and then I kind of started prioritizing the things that Will has been talking about up to this point, which is prioritizing efficiency and movement first and, and really working on my gait and working on other things. And to the, the degree that I've been able to stay pain free and feel really good in my body. And even my partner was, you know, making comments about how more agile I seemed in many situations, right? It, it was, it's been very, very interesting to to kind of watch unfold. It's something that I tested. I, I stopped conventional lifting, you know, just, just about completely, I'd say, like maybe throwing in a deadlift because I had to demonstrate it for, for a coaching situation. But, you know, I've, I've been trying to decondition my body out of, out of lifting pattern. I'm breaking role play right now, by the way. But you have to test these things, right? You, you literally, you have to test them. And before you can say yes or no, that's why it's like the theory about, um, could you do a one rep max squat and then shift immediately into locomotive patterns? And then your nervous system will start prioritizing those, those good locomotive patterns. We don't know. We haven't tested it. Can you get a faster sprint time by prioritizing pushing heavy sleds and working only on uh, like loaded forward locomotive movements? Maybe we haven't tested it. I'm doing a test right now where I'm doing a little bit of like high intensity bodybuilding work once every five to seven days and 90 of like, and the rest of the time, that's the only quote training that I do. The rest of my training is uh, gate patterning and, uh, you know, roping and, and doing things that, that prioritize creating higher quality of movement, creating more freedom through my spine so that my spinal engine can be going so that I can, so that I can walk more efficiently. It's so crazy walking now and not thinking about it, how much my spine rocks back and forth and how much my shoulders are, are in motion. And, and it's funny cause it's like, I used to like think that people who walked around like that are walking around with this like cocky strut going on, but it's like, oh, that's just the way that our bodies are actually meant to move with that spinal wave happening. So, you know, you, you, you test things and see how they work, right? I still want to have muscle and I still want to, you know, look good. And I still want to have an athletic look that has unfortunately been defined by conventional fitness standards, but I also want to move good and, and feel amazing and not have tissue issues. So can I, can I do both at the same time? I don't know. I'm going to try it. Sure. 
I think you could. Like, why not, right? Like, if you're if if your goal is aesthetic, you want to look good, then that's your goal. The the map is kind of laid out. It's bodybuilding, you know, mixed with a little bit of cardio for you, right? Yeah. But I would also urge you to prioritize your body, um, and at least add if if you're not at the point where you want to do this all day, okay? You want to start adding in things that are going to put you in the positive direction and change the behavior slowly, okay? And you won't even notice it. Maybe add some sled pushes with um, your weight on the outside of your foot, right? Maybe, you know, add in a bow or two during the day. Just get in and feel the position. It feels good anyway, okay? So there's a lot of things you can add in during the day to kind of push you more in the direction of feeding good mechanics. Um, and that'll start to uh, change the behavior and make the system a little bit more clean. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, you know, that's, that's, that is what I'm doing right now is like throughout the day, I'm always moving around. I'm always like, and that's how it's funny. Cause that's how I learned how to deadlift and squat too. It was like when I was, uh, you know, before I had to quote mobility to do them when I first got into fitness. Cause again, the, the whole thing when you get into fitness is like, Oh, can you squat? Can you deadlift? I, I couldn't, I didn't have the mobility. So what I did was like all throughout the day, it was hip hinges until I had the mobility and I was conditioning my body over time. Yes, I still did deadlifts and I did weighted mobility stuff. But like, I think the reason that I was good at those movement patterns is because I tried to condition them throughout the day as well. I would practice uh, total body tension, you know, bracing the core. Or when I was just standing there doing my dishes, I would brace my core as hard as I could for like five seconds. And I would, I would, I would practice these things where situationally I like, cause I wanted to deadlift and squat as much as I could. I was at, this was when I was a power lifter, right? So I would practice the movement patterns everywhere. I would practice the tension. I would, I would condition my nervous system to, to prioritize that. And so, you know, can you body build, can you have these other goals while still um, prioritizing movement efficiency? I think the answer is yes, but you can't be training six days a week like a bodybuilder. You know oh absolutely not um you have to do it, it you get what you put in right like because i want to be a better mover i have to do it all day like right now i'm i'm uh in a size of position in my chair meaning mm -hmm. that i'm sitting on the back of my feet okay before i'd be sitting on my ass it's a better behavior to sit on your feet okay so i've changed just a, a small thing but i'm doing this all day okay i'm uh you know, walking with a little bit more intention. I'm making sure I look down, my ankle bones are low, I pick them back up, right? And I find less and less situations where I actually have to do that. I'll look down and, and be surprised at what it looks like just automatically now, okay? I can, you know, wherever I go, I'm gonna go for a run now, okay? If I go to the grocery store, I run there. That's not a habit that I had when I lifted. It was just counterintuitive to the thought process. Okay, I have this hour a day that I got to go to the gym, rip it hard, and then go on with the rest of my day. And that'll be, you know, afterwards, it's recovery, recovery, recovery. Right. When you train, like I'm training right now, it's just behavior changes. Okay, I don't prioritize bodybuilding. I could add it in about, you know, uh, two to three hours a week, and I'd still think I'd be fine, but I just am not prioritizing it. Okay, mm -hmm. um, I'm prioritizing movement, so I'm just doing it all day. Everything in my life, I'm trying to integrate some movement. When I'm at the office working on a patient, I'm in uh, a bow position with my legs. 
100% of the time, okay? Uh, instead of using a chair, I'll kneel now. It's small behavior changes like that will put you up to the next level. Mm. And to hit the next level now, I have to do more and more and more. But then I get the fruits and the movement. I'm able to move better now at 38 than I did at 15. I actually deconditioned myself by lifting heavy weights and uh, didn't know why it was becoming less athletic at that point. Okay, now I figured right. it out. I was like, I wish I knew this at 15. I'd be a, <laughs> a different beast, but it's, it's the way it goes, right? I'm glad at 38 that I now know how to improve my body. Most people are deconditioning. I'm like, no, you're doing it wrong, but it's hard <laughs> to switch the mindset, right? If your goal is longevity and uh, still having, I, I basically want to be a ninja at 80. Frank, yeah. able to move, yeah. martial arts, love it. That's part of my daily life, makes me happy. I can just shadow box, change my mood, five minutes. Um, and that's the point where I want to be and um, what I'm heading towards. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, this hypothetical debate format sort of broke down a little bit partway through, but I wanted to kind of recap the things that I'm taking away from this conversation is it's always a matter of priorities and it's always a matter of really clearly defining what your goal is. And, you know, I think the real debate is what should your goal be? And a lot of the times if you're training to be an athlete, right? Like the goal is like people talk about power output, right? And you said, it's like, well, you can be a bodybuilder and have higher power output because you're training squats and stuff. But does that mean you're moving efficiently and that you're going to be a better runner? No. Um, so should you prioritize movement efficiency and should you prioritize the, like the correct patterning? Yes. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that, that's the ultimate debate, right? Is what is the priority? What is the actual goal? If you're training for aesthetics, you should still think about having a good gait. You should still like, cause if you want to be a bodybuilder, it's going to put a real wrench in your ambitions to have an aesthetic body. If you snap your knee because you're, inside ankle bone low and you're squatting heavy all the time, right? The thing is, it's, most people don't even know that you can train gait. Like think of the amount of people that actually know you can make your running more efficient pretty easily. I didn't very until easy. this no, year. Like, I didn't. Most people actually don't know this. And that is the key to the next, what I believe is the next level. It's like, if you can get your gait right, your body is going to thank you because you're going to be bringing yourself positive uh, changes within your body by just walking. Okay. How it was designed to be walking, changing your resting positions is probably the biggest thing. Okay. Sitting for long periods of time, not moving. Okay. The lack, it's not whether you're sitting or standing, it's the lack of movement. That's the problem. Okay. Um, spines being locked all day, going to the gym, locking your spine up. Um, Notice when you walk down the street and you have your spine able to be free and your core able to be free, it's hard to be, feel stressed. You know, it just, it doesn't go together when you're waving yeah. back and forth, you're feeling good. Okay. So there's a lot to this. And um, yeah, so basically you want to get back into more specific arguments. Uh, yeah, there, there was one actually, there was there was one thing that we didn't cover that I really wanted to cover sure, today. And that was, uh, you know, you're, you're, you have a clinical practice where you see therapists, the chiropractor. And one of the things that you said that you constantly hear people say when they come in and they're all jacked up, they're like, yeah, well, I know I don't stretch enough. Right. They have this preconceived notion that stretching 
is the key to, to having a pain, pain-free body, right? And so again, it sounds like that's, that's sort of, and I'm, I'm breaking the whole, like, I'm not going to do a hypothetical debate anymore. I just want to talk concepts. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, there's this idea that stretching is a default priority to stay pain-free in your body. And that if you're, especially, like, even if you acknowledge that the way that we sit and the way that we move around and, and, and you know, the shoes that we wear and all the things like that, that they're kind of destroying our bodies. The, the cure is to stretch, right? You just stretch out of these positions and then you're kind of good to go. I went through a really great certification program with Lucas Aaron called the Range of Strength Program and it had a lot of stretching in it. it had a lot of loaded stretching, a lot of uh, movement patterns that were extended range of motion under load and a lot of static stretching for 90 seconds, some, sometimes up to like two or three minutes. And I felt so fucking good during that uh, three months that I took that certification with him. Uh, and my body felt really good. My body felt like it didn't have any limitations in movement. Um, I wasn't cognizant of spinal engine stuff. I wasn't, but he, he even prioritized side bending. He prioritized, you know, different ranges through the hips. And the, the, the stretching and the end range conditioning work that I did felt amazing. And oftentimes stretching does offer a ton of relief. So should you prioritize stretching and flexibility? Is that a cool gateway to getting into these gate positions? Like if you have a limitation that's like, you know, like I, I remember even the, the founder of Goda saw a video of me doing a slow motion run. And he's like, your, your right hip is still locked up. Keep working on that. I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe I'll go stretch out my right hip more, right? Is that, is that a good gateway into gate? <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it could be like, it, it depends on how tense tight you are, why your, uh, why your muscles are tight in the first place. Um, now there's a lot to that, right? Like from a therapist end of it, most people don't look at this angle. It's that what's the reason your muscles tight in the first place? Is it trying to protect a joint? Okay. So my priority is always joint. So let's take, for example, that you have an issue with the right hip. Okay, so like internally inside your hip joint, there's actually, let's say a labral tear, okay? Mm -hmm. Your nervous system is gonna turn your muscles on to a high degree uh, to try to stop that joint motion. Then you're gonna go, I need to stretch this out because my joint feels tight. So it's never gonna work, one, but it'll feel good for two minutes because you stretch the muscle that's tight. So there's a lot of that going on. It does feel good to stretch and every once in a while I stretch, um, by the way, I'm not that flexible. If you want to get more flexibility in, let's say, the splits or something like that, you have to do the splits progressively, okay? So I'm not saying if your goal is the splits or a high kick in, uh, you know, martial arts or something like that, and you don't have the flexibility, quote-unquote, actual muscle length or fascia length to get there, then you have to start stretching in that position, okay? I'm not saying that it's not applicable for anything, but in terms of just a broad, I'm going to stretch my way out of this, it rarely works, okay? Rarely works other than making you feel good temporarily um, and to increase your ranges of motion. I would say there's also a priority scale there, and that's to figure out why the muscle is tense and tight in the first place. It's rarely because it's not stretched enough. Let's put it that way. Okay. 
And and so you would say, well, it's funny because we just watched that video with Dr. Andrea Spina where he talks about uh, joint capsule articulation is always the priority because even if you yeah. have, uh, you know, like relaxation in the muscle, even if you condition your muscle to be relaxed in spite of the nervous system signals that it's getting to stay tense, if yeah. you don't have the articulation range within the, the capsule of the joint and you don't have the tissue development within that actual joint itself, then... Your your so this is where you would say you prioritize uh, joint conditioning. You yeah, still want always... you still you still look at movement patterning first, but then you still will throw in like things like FRC where you're where you're looking at joint articulation and joint health. Well, I used to have FRC at the top of the hierarchy. That was the way to ensure that joints would be uh, healthy. Okay, mm-hmm. joints get their health by motion, or uh, sorry, their fluid by motion. You have capsules that surround your joints and movement pumps the fluid in, it's called synovial fluid, and it lubricates the joints. It has to be done by motion. That's why when you're up in the morning, everything feels cracky and creaky. It hasn't got that fluid in there. It's pressure, changed pressure during the night, right? But basically the low hanging fruit, the thing that you should be doing kind of all the time as default to teach yourself is to move your joints constantly. So I'm constantly, you know, while I'm relaxing, I'm moving my shoulder, I'm moving, uh, let's say the glenohumeral joint, I'm spinning the bone in the socket, okay? I'm uh, moving my spine around, back and forth, moving my neck, just like that randomly during the day, right? So I've integrated it into my life. It's a baseline, okay? So I'm not going to be stopped. My brain is not going to stop the motions that I have because my joints can't do it anymore. Okay, so as a baseline, joints are a massive priority because your brain prioritizes the um, capsule of the joint over most other things, okay? So if you don't have range inside of a a joint, your brain is not going to allow you to go into that motion at high speed, especially. So your brain is going to be scrambled towards that pattern. So let's say, for instance, I hurt my shoulder, okay, and I can't lift it up here. My brain is just not going to allow me to do it because it's in fear. So I have to teach it that it's okay to be there, but it won't let me do this at first. It won't let me go straight. So I have to do maybe 20 degrees below straight. I can get there. Okay. Then I slowly work my way up. This is kind of like Ben Patrick, ATG's thought process where you slowly by inch by inch, quarter centimeter by quarter centimeter, you put someone in a better position. Okay. This is building joints up. But I think GOAT is like, why even let them come apart in the first place? Let's stop the bleeding of the joints by these awesome positions that are super simple to do um, and learn. And then you could prioritize those and not ruin your joints in the first place. Okay, so you can do both. You can do both joint articulations and you can uh, understand good positions. And that is what I'm doing now as a baseline. Right. So, so once you have that baseline established and you know, that, that, that was kind of interesting. So basically I want to, I want to summarize that. First of all, I'm, I'm very sure. curious to know how many people who are listening to this talk about you just moving your joints throughout the day started moving their joints while they were listening <laughs> because I was yeah. in there being like, Oh yeah, let's move. You know, like, I have to stop myself from doing it throughout the day. So I don't look weird. You know what I mean? Cause like I, I, I'm I'm constantly in motion, I don't uh, do FRC style anymore where you're just, isolating one joint and concentrating super hard. 
because I've already kind of mastered that. I would start right. there. Okay. Mm -hmm. But now I can spin multiple at the same time and get my whole body moving. Um, and that's kind of the next level of it. And then putting it in the go to math is the very next level of it. Right. I think yeah. FRC guys would disagree with me on that big time, but I think that's, that's actually what you prioritize over joint articulations. You could do both though. That's um that's a really big Edo Portal philosophy. They they have the isolate, integrate, improvise. It's like the three eyes. So you isolate the the position that you want to be in or the joint or whatever it is that needs conditioning. Then you integrate it into a movement pattern. And then once you have the the movement patterns integrated, then you can improvise and how you chain those movement patterns together. Right. So that's kind of kind of what you Well, you, it's kind of what I'm saying, but I think Gota actually has found the system. I think they've actually found how a human being is supposed to land and leave the earth, okay? And the markers of a better mover or a better way to move versus a worse way to move and a very simple checklist to do so, okay? I think they've actually found how to walk and run more correctly than anyone else has found through slow motion video, okay? But if you don't accept slow motion video as evidence, then, then it doesn't work, okay? If you only accept science or the scientific papers, the scientific consensus as the proof that you need in your own mind to start at least trying go to principles, then it's not gonna work for you, okay? Mm. Um, back to the FRC style, like basically taking each joint and moving it, I still think that's a great idea. That's a great place for people to start even just moving your shoulders and your hips around during the day, that would be such a simple way to start with a couple go-to positions, like the bone corner, okay? Uh, I have examples of that on my Instagram. So add in a bone corner and add in moving your spine and moving your hips and shoulders, and you're gonna get a lot of good fruit from just that. That comes from a right. therapist, by the way, okay? Mm -hmm. Like on the therapy end of it. Yeah. So stretching then has very little priority overall in, in terms of developing like you would so 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 what I'm what I'm hearing is like stretching on the priority list is kind of like you're 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 still saying movement efficiency, FRC style joint articulation. FRC stands for functional range conditioning. What they do is basically uh isolated and integrated joint uh articulation, so moving your joints in circles. That's what you see externally right their their method is is way more complicated than that um andrea spina goes really in depth with it in his Let's seminars. Do an episode just on on that we're we're like not 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 this week but next week i think we're going to do a whole episode on frc and and dive into where we think their priorities could shift a little bit and where we think they're right and where we think they're wrong so that's going to be a, a really really fun episode but uh, but basically the priorities just back to that it's 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 movement efficiency first so getting those patterns go to figure out the patterns so you can just literally hire a go to coach get a recode and or you know or work with you to learn these patterns or do whatever that you got to do I know you're not a go to certified coach but you I'm, you I'm not a go to certified coach and that's like I have no skin in the game here I'm coming at it from a person who has his own movement practice who thinks about movement all day who is trying to find. The go to I was trying to find the go to patterns. I'm like, okay, I've, I'm a therapist. I've learned the, um, you know, the academic end of it. I'm not figuring it out here. 
I've learned biomechanical gait assessment. I've learned uh, so many different styles, so many different types of movement. And as soon as I saw Gota and what they were talking about, started implementing it for a while, I'm like, this is it. They got it. Okay. You found it before I did. That's awesome. I'm going <laughs> to try to improve it somehow. Okay. So yeah. I had to put my ego aside there and be like, that's what I was looking for. I wanted to, you know, I was basically looking at functional patterns and WEC method and integrating that with more academic type of thought process. And I'm going to be like, oh, I can improve that by doing this. I can improve mm -hmm. that by doing this. Okay. But I wasn't actually looking at slow motion and going, what are humans supposed to do? Right. Okay? What, are, what are we actually doing? <laughs> what are the best movers in the world doing uh, repetitively? And in, in science, basically most studies are done on normal people who don't move well. Okay. So if you're comparing normal people who don't move well, uh, it like you should be studying how the best movers move, how the most oldest people move. Okay. That are still, you know, without canes and walkers, indigenous people who haven't been touched by Western culture, um, go to started doing that. And, and, uh, you know, how infants crawl, integrating it together, figuring out the patterns that happen there and saying, okay, these ha patterns are happening thousands of times over in slow motion. There's something to this. They go to the academics. Hey, look, there's something to this. The academics go, okay, show me the randomized control trial. They're, they're like, what? But the slow motion shows you. Like, you can literally see it on slow motion. I'm going to show you. Okay, we don't take that as evidence. It's only randomized control trials. So that's, right. we're, at the, we're at that point now. So you can either start looking at slow motion yourself, figuring out if there is indeed a pattern, okay? You can use Goda's math if you want and take a look at what Goda's doing, or you can try to figure it out yourself. Or you can be like, let's not look at slow motion. Um, and let's just try to figure this out by theory. Hmm. I don't know, it just makes no, like not that much sense to me. Start watching that, the slow mo and watching your own patterns, your intuitive self. Use your intuition, okay? Um, a lot of the, the. I, I think that what you just said, use your intuition, is like a scientist hears that and they're like, "Shut up!" Like science has nothing to do with intuition, but like it, it kind of does. Like even the fact that you have to come up with a hypothesis is an intuitive process. And actually, you know, it was, it was interesting. I listened to Jordan Peterson talk about this. And, and the difficulty explaining how a person comes to a hypothesis with all their, you know, they, they have this like breadth of knowledge from all these different sources they're considering and they're trying to map it out and trying to explain how they come to a hypothesis that they want to test is sometimes the most difficult thing in the world because, you know, it, it does come from an intuitive place of like even sometimes subconsciously integrated information, right? So when you're, when you're watching film and you're moving and you're, and you're doing like, I mean, you can, like I, like I said, I learned deadlifting from practicing it, but I, I learned everything that I know from watching and then trying to, trying to emulate and like using feedback and, and like eventually I came to my own ideas, right? And, and these ideas that, that you have to come to, like you have to, you have to, you have to be open to alternative views of information. The, we, we talked about this on another podcast where the, the challenge is, why, you know, say exercise scientists or kinesiologists are going to butt heads with GOTA for a long time is that it is that, you know, peer reviewed double blind study versus what you're seeing in slow motion on tape. And, you know, 
thankfully there's going to be some double blind you know stuff that that is going to be around godai here that there's there's more there are more there's more interest in the system now because they they have stuff figured out um the goda guys actually two two of the the goda head coaches ricky stanzi and, and gary scheffler are going to be on no filter network themselves i think their premiere is out here on november 10th we're going to be having a discussion with them it's going to be really exciting and then they're going to be you know they're they're kind of doing an offshoot where you know where will and i talked about kind of the athletic training where i was like well, what about squats and what about you know this what about that they're they're actually taking that that forward locomotive pattern and their their gls performance team is, is addressing how you would train an athlete within the math and they're 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 an offshoot from goda it's gls powered by goda right so go to locomotive system whatever it happens to be they're they're an athletic performance specific application of the principles that we're talking about and so i'm really excited to see their content on no filter coming up it's gonna be amazing and uh, if you guys want to watch that it'll be at uh 7 p.m central time on november 10th um i'm going to be hosting it we'll, we'll be jumping on we're going to be having some really cool discussions about goda asking some high level questions we're going to you know pick their brains like crazy because these are two of the founders of the of the system basically and uh we can we can admit that they beat us to the punch in terms of finding this stuff out, but then but then yeah. pick their brains and add to it, right? So that, so I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's so many directions to go with that. Um, I think I was, let's say, two years ago. Okay, I'm gonna give the story about how I kind of found uh, Goda. Okay, I was doing CrossFit. I kind of quit that. Um, and then I started doing a little bit of break dancing. Okay. Like as funny as that cool. is one from CrossFit to break dancing. I just wanted, I don't I don't know what happened at the time. I looked at a weight one day. I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. <laughs> I, I would move well as a as a kid. Like I was athletic as a kid, as a teenager. And then I started bodybuilding, lifting really heavy weights, and I lost my athleticism somewhat, right? I was always losing a step and could never figure it out. Um, went into university bodybuilding very heavily, uh, powerlifting, doing, you know, really bad form deadlifts with like 500 pounds, <laughs> maximum everything, you know, uh, that type of, of working out. And it really destroyed my body, right? So I'm not saying I was doing any of those properly. Um, I was doing some, some cycle work with like uh, powerlifting, uh, West Side Barbell, like the five by fives, very basic stuff, three by eight, um, yeah. which is basically just taking uh, your power range, five reps, five sets, and uh, at 70% of your max, repeat, yeah. repeat, yeah. repeat, right? I was getting gains, uh, you know, like rough numbers, squatting close to 500, uh, deadlift close to 500, bench close to 400, okay? So, and I, I was like 170 pounds, but completely <laughs> destroyed my joints, uh, made myself super unathletic, um, and when I realized this, it, I, like I got into CrossFit, I couldn't even go overhead half the time. Okay, my shoulders would hurt. I was super restricted because my body was so jacked and you know, many, many inflammatory issues around my collarbone. It just wasn't working out, okay? So I tried to scale back CrossFit and do very, very basic stuff. And even then it wasn't hitting it. So I was like, why, why aren't I thinking a little bit more intricately about this? I know mm. the body better um then then this okay so basically 
started doing some dance, learning about my body a little bit more, got back into boxing. Um, and now it's, uh, I picked up a little bit of functional patterns. Um, yep. when I was already in CrossFit and that kind of led me into the whole WEC method world, um, which is very interesting. We should do a, a show in, in and itself of, of what I got from WEC method. And then, uh, eventually I found Goda through a guy named Tim Sheaf, who's a popular ninja warrior guy. Okay. Tim Sheaf introduced you to Goda? Well, I heard the concept from him. Or no, no, okay. wait, was it Tim Sheaf or? No, 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 actually, sorry. He was on a podcast with a guy um, that's called Injured Dumbass, who did, who got kicked out of functional patterns, basically, right? I that's heard Goda from him about two years ago, then got into it myself, originally read the book. I'm like, okay, this kind of makes sense, but I didn't completely integrate it. Then I started watching more of the content. I'm like, this makes so much sense. Integrated it for a while, a few months, um, started seeing a ton of results, but really didn't do it to the next level where I'm keeping my ankle bones up high, really following the principles, doing the bows daily. Um, and by the way, I got an FRC before, um, you know, probably like eight years ago for my chiropractic practice, right? I'm not certified by the way, I just really nerd out on it. But yeah. either way, back to Gota, um, got into it, started about six months ago, going really, really hard with keeping the principles correct and having that in the forefront of my mind as my training model. And I've never seen results like this in my life. Uh, started integrating the simplistic movements into my practice, also getting amazing results. So I have to go with what I'm actually seeing here. Yeah. And, and I think at the end of the day, results are what matter most. And, and again, like the results are contingent on what your goals are. Like what result are you getting? You're always getting a result no matter what you do. Right. You know, um, you, you got, you got pretty good results as a power lifter. You know, you got pretty good results. Pain-free. Like uh, yeah. I'm moving more athletic. I'm more pain-free. Um, yeah. Like all the outward results, external results and internal results, knowing my body, understanding the positions that I'm supposed to be in takes burden off my mind. Okay. Cause yeah, I only does. need to know how to land and leave. Basically when I'm running now, I'm running silky smooth. Okay. <laughs> with the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Basically um, I'm very happy with that. And uh, I have to thank WEC method for that because I originally um, got the whole mindset behind getting your gait to be the thing to look at from mm. David WEC. So it, I have a lot of influences there. You know what? Even, uh, even the founder of Goda, Coach Gill, kind of kind of quotes in his book. I know I know they have like maybe a little bit of beef now, but he 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 actually credited credited David Weck as one of his mentors in uh, in his in his book. And uh, and I found that interesting because I do I do remember when I was getting into Goda, I, I kind of sensed there was a bit of beef between Goda and Weck method. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but uh, either way. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty cool. I think that's a pretty cool place to wrap. I want to. I want to sort of summarize everything that we went over today because we went over a lot. And again, like this was supposed to be a hypothetical debate, but um, honestly, I, I I believe too strongly in this stuff to even role play against it. So <laughs> um, we kind of talked about like why would you prioritize movement efficiency over tissue resilience, training the tissues and outside of patterns that are optimal and efficient. Um, it's basically because the more that you condition your nervous system to be in these suboptimal positions, the more your nervous system will recall them and the more likely you are to fall into them when situations are less than favorable. So 
prioritizing keeping your quote nervous system clean as you put it which i think is, is, is a cool way to put it in terms of the movement patterns that you're doing and prioritizing uh getting into the position training the positions that you want to be in during your gait uh focusing on your gait cycle making sure that you have like free movement of the spine for spinal engine like prioritizing basically that so that you can move with efficiency in the way that you're supposed to move most regularly which is forward walking right forward walking or running um why would you not weight lift to improve the power output so so again like the the priorities that you listed out were efficiency power and then longevity right the power part it's like okay well what if you prioritized your your gait cycle and your efficiency of movement but you still did heavy squats so that you had more power output again the argument there is that you're jacking your nervous system so much when you do these heavy squats that produce this force output um that first of all force output itself in isolation is not actually a great goal because force output in what you could you could be outputting more force in unfavorable positions that damage your tissues yeah right the biggest power lifters in the world would be the strongest and fastest at everything yeah no. well exactly and they and they aren't they're 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 fat and slow <laughs> well they're good, so, at, they're good at power lifting. they're good yeah exactly they're, 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 but that's what they're good at yeah and that's not to say that like within studies there aren't situations where you see people who improve a, a you know a barbell back squat and their sprint time at the same time like there there are there there's things that suggest that it's correlated the question is that we haven't tested is what if you trained forward locomotion instead of moving up and down what if you trained uh like weighted versions of these forward locomotive patterns where you're where you're traveling on the outside of the edge of your foot instead of standing in a foot tripod as in heel outside and inside corner of your foot that's what we, you know when we say foot tripod just think of your heel and then the two front corners of your foot um that's what you're training in a squat you're driving through your heels well when you're running and you're moving forward you're not running through your heels if you're doing these heavy weight lifting movements heavy weight lifting jacks your nervous system up it's a very neurologically demanding thing you're continually conditioning your body to uh utilize these patterns especially when you get into an emergency situation or if you lose your balance or you have to produce a lot of speed or force then the thing that you default to is the thing that your nervous system is most conditioned to do, i.e. move into these tripod positions or, or try to optimize for a squat. So, we, you know, basically these conventional movements are suboptimal for movement efficiency and for programming movement efficiency, especially in a emergency situation, right? Um, the stretching question was like, well, okay, well, what about stretching? Like if you're sore, should you stretch? Um, stretching is usually a nervous system signal to signify that something is wrong with the joint and that very few times the actual muscle length itself is not the issue the issue is typically something within the joint and there's actually better ways to train the joint than just static stretching which would be joint articulation or frc or isolating the joint in in the range of motion that is supposed to move improving the synovial fluid and the actual fluidity of the joint itself and then after that then you can prioritize it but it's like it's like third order of magnitude after mo movement efficiency and and joint articulation did i miss any major points that stood out to you today that was, that was a great summary and i just wanted to add that okay um i think like my hypothesis is that goda has the correct landing and leaving positions it's the first system that addresses motion 
Okay, mm -hmm. so to me, FRC has the the right principle of getting the joints correct, like moving the joints and understanding each joint of your body. If you go to that level, you're going to get a lot of fruit, but you have to integrate it in how the body lands and leaves the earth because that's what you're doing the most by far. So yeah. stop the bleeding. Don't uh, have the incorrect motions that will get you the joint problems in the first place. Okay. Right. Now we can argue all day of whether goat is correct or not, but then it's always going to come back to, do you have the studies? No. Do you watch slow motion? No. <laughs> okay. So like goat is going to say, watch the slow motion. We can see this thousands of times. Uh, the uh, scientific world is going to be like, we need double blind studies to prove this. I, I think personally that movement is very special. You need to be able to see it to analyze it. So right. I think GOAT is correct on this. If you see a pattern hundreds of times over and over and over again, at least let's take a look at it. Okay, Let, let's at least allow slow motion to be part of the discussion. Otherwise, it, it's going to happen anyway. So either- Because well, even from, I was thinking about this, you know, I, I watched, I rewatched uh, Coach Ricky's debate with Zach Tellender on a podcast recently where he was, it was basically an Olympic lifting coach criticizing Goda. And, and, you know, one of the things Ricky said is like, well, how many fucking videos do we need of an inside ankle bone, low, you know, Achilles tear, ACL tear before we, you know, start looking at it. Right. And, and Infinity, at that point, when you, you won't look at them. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and that's it. But like, but even, even if you have, like, if you collect enough video data, that becomes statistically relevant data in a scientific context, right? Like you, you might not, it might not be like double blind, but like, you know, if you, if you collect enough footage, that should be statistically relevant data. It's like, Hey, look, if, if you have a thousand videos and 998 of them, show and you know the 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 quote woda positions versus the goda positions while these athletes are getting injured wouldn't you think that's fucking statistically relevant a thousand videos of a thousand different athletes playing the same sport and they're um, all showing the same positions yeah the argument of, of course the argument's going to be like this i look at slow motion too i don't see that it all depends on how you analyze it and the truth is most people aren't looking at slow motion not running anyway no. Um, I've heard Andrea, Andrea Spina say, I've looked at everything with the kinetic chain. Um, I'll get the exact quote, but it's something like this. I've looked at every paper on the kinetic chain and trust me, you can't figure it out. Okay. But <laughs> like, was he looking at slow-mo there? No, you're looking at the papers, the papers to tell you how to move. And there's so many theories. Like, trust me, when we were in Cairo school, there's people like this muscle twists this, which goes into that which twists this and it's all theory. But yeah. Goda's like, no, 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 look at the tape. NBA trust tape, NFL trust tape. When it comes down to the nitty gritty, the tape is always what you go to, but for some yeah. reason yeah. it's not accepted by the scientific world and I get it. It takes a little bit of time to change things, but it's going to that direction anyway. So um, I would say that it would be smart to look, at least look into Goda and look at how they parse the movement of the body out. It is very intelligent. It is not yeah, haphazard yeah. at all. No, okay. It's so um, it's the best system I've seen to address locomotion, which to me is the priority in human movement, which um, 
to me should be the focus. Okay, so I think Goda is the number one system. Um, I would say followed by WEC method and maybe functional patterns and FRC is somewhere in there. Um, yeah, well, a little bit different. Again, FRC, FRC, is very... FRC isn't, it's, it's not a movement practice, right? It's a, it's a, like, but it, it is. It, it, well, I mean, I guess, but it focuses, it's not, it's not a motion practice then. It's, it's a, it's a joint articulation. Like, yeah, it is a movement practice, I guess, in that you're moving your joints to create better joint articulation, but like things like WEC method and functional pat, like think about the, the name functional patterns, you're training patterns, right? Like go to your training patterns, WEC method is, is patterns so, so that you move more efficiently, right? Like, yeah. uh, like FRC is different in that it doesn't train patterns necessarily. They would argue against that. They say, well, what we're doing is since the joint capsule is a priority in your brain, that if you don't have the capacity to move within your joint capsules, your brain is going to stop good movement. So in order for you to even get the capacity to get good movement, you need to train the articulations of the joints so that it, they can all come together cleanly. And then you can go train whatever pattern you want outside of FRC. Okay. So right. we're going to give you the capacity and you go train your specific pattern. The pro and and they they really harp against from what I've seen pattern training like they use squats and deadlifts as examples of what they don't like because right. well he doesn't exactly say that but he's like repetitively squatting is going to get you repetitively squatting he basically makes the same argument I do there right mm -hmm. what he what he doesn't address is the fact that I think Goat is correct I think there is a better way to land and leave the earth every time you take a step and that is stopping the problems from happening in the first place. So you don't even need to get so into the motions of the joints. Although if you're missing ranges of motion, please do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're stopping like Goda is stopping the problem from happening in the first place. Again, the proof, it all circles back to the papers. They don't have any, um, although you could probably cherry pick and they are, all scientists cherry pick papers. That's a little bit of a secret. Of course. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So Goda could probably <laughs> do that too. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, there are, there are papers that, that sort of show, you know, and, and, and this anything. is the issue with, 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 yeah, well, I was going to say like Goda has papers that demonstrate exactly what they're talking about. And, and, but the issue is they're not looking at, at just papers. They're, they're looking at the results that they're getting and they're looking at the slow motion video and, slow motion and video analysis is the way to go. Um, start looking at things, start looking at patterns, see what you see. Um, if you don't even want to trust Goda, on their assessment, then why don't you just like, you think it's a bad idea to, to watch slow motion video of athletes and, and maybe try to find your own <laughs> patterns. You might find the same thing as Goda without even knowing it, or you might find yeah. the opposite. Okay. Yeah, you might, you might find something totally different. To so guys, um, this is the art of move podcast. And we do this very, very regularly on nofilter.net. If you are listening to this on Spotify or now iTunes, then go to nofilter.net and check out our upcoming live shows. If you're interested in the GoTo stuff that you're talking about, go check out the GoTo guys too. Like I said, we're doing our introduction, sort of interview with them to welcome them to nofilter.net on November 10th at 7 p.m. Central, which uh, I think is 5 p.m. Pacific and what would that be? 8 p.m. Eastern time. So. I'm, I'm becoming a master at time zones because I'm always trying to coordinate these, these interviews with people all over the country. But um, 
yeah, go go check out some Goto stuff because it's really cool. Make sure to follow us not only on nofilter.net or on Spotify or on iTunes, whatever you're listening to, just follow us. Um, ask us questions. These live streams are interactive as well. And uh, I did a really piss poor job of being a hypothetical debater today, but maybe you're more passionate about these ideas than I am. And maybe you're not as convinced as I am that the way that Will and I have been kind of exploring it is the correct way or the logical way. And so if you have some dissenting opinions about the things that we're talking about, please come on and, and debate us. Like that's the whole point. We have this cool feature called knock. You can knock on the stream and we can let you in. And it kind of looks like a Zoom call. We, we talk to you directly and then you're a part of the podcast too. And we can have these intelligent conversations about movement in the human body. That's why we started this podcast in the first place. Well, I mean, we started this because Will and I are big fucking movement nerds and we just wanted to talk about it and give out really, really good information and, and you know, try to try to change people's minds about some, some bullshit inform, information. At least that's what on my end. And um, yeah, next week we will do a whole episode on FRC because I think, you know, it's a very popular, it, it's been growing as a company for a long time. They're very, very popular in uh, the lifting community and the athletic community in general, they, they have a lot of uh, credence in the fitness industry as a whole. And for good reason, they, they produce really good results and they have really cool ideas. And we're going to dive really, really deep into it. Our next episode is tomorrow, Thursday, October 28th at 1230 Pacific time, 330 Eastern time. So go check that out live if you want. If you have questions for Dr. Will, you can also hit him up on Instagram at, at the art of move. Thank you for listening to The Art of Move. This is episode six, and we'll catch you tomorrow for episode seven. Have a good one, guys.